Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. On the night of July 24, 2002, police detective Teresa Relkin responded to a call at the Nassau Bay Hilton in Houston, Texas. She pulled up just after 9 p.m. and saw an ambulance shut its doors and zoom out of the parking lot, sirens blasting. Detective Relkin tried to trace the sequence of events, scanning the lot for clues. And one thing in particular drew her attention, a silver Mercedes. It had significant damage to its fender and sat thoughtlessly parked. Tire marks on two grassy medians suggested that whoever drove the Mercedes had charged across them. <laughs> Detective Relkin walked to the petite woman who sat distraught at the curb nearest the Mercedes. It was Clara Harris, the driver. And by the blood-stained asphalt at Clara's feet, it was clear that the medians weren't the only thing her wheels had impacted. Before long, Clara was escorted to a nearby police car. Though the specific sequence of events evaded Detective Relkin, Clara would soon provide a detailed account of what happened, insisting the tragedy was merely an accident. But just across the street, in a gray Toyota Camry, a private investigator had caught the altercation on video, a piece of evidence that told a different story. Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes. But what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every Wednesday, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and you're listening to Female Criminals, a ParCast original. You can find episodes of Female Criminals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Female Criminals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Female Criminals in the search bar. This is our second episode on Clara Harris, a Colombian-born dentist who sought revenge after she learned of her husband's affair. Last week, we covered the death of Clara's father in her early childhood and the dental empire she went on to build. We also discussed the demise of her once-perfect marriage to 44-year-old David Harris. This week, we'll explore Clara's strange approach to her failing relationship and the tragic turn of events when her surveillance mission turned into a hit job. We've got all this coming up. Stay with us. On Tuesday, July 16, 2002, 44-year-old Clara Harris discovered that her husband David had been romantically interested in his receptionist, 39-year-old Gail Bridges. In that moment, Clara's perfect world shattered. When she returned home to her suburban Houston mansion later that evening, Clara didn't question David about Gail directly, but he could tell something was off. He followed her up to their bedroom and asked what was wrong. 
She replied, do you love me? David hesitated, uncertain how to respond. Devastated, Clara went to sleep, hoping the next morning David would own up to any involvement with Gail. But when she woke, he still failed to tell her the truth. So Clara headed to the bathroom and turned on the shower. When her husband walked in, Clara sat on the edge of the bathtub, waiting for him to speak. After several moments, he admitted, there is somebody else. Clara trembled as tears rolled down her face. Although she already suspected her husband had betrayed her, hearing it from him directly was the ultimate blow. Throughout their entire marriage, she'd put him on a pedestal, never able to believe he was capable of any wrong. She thought she'd done everything she could to give him the best life she could. Somehow, it still wasn't enough. Now, David tried to console her with a hug, but she shoved him away. She said she'd hire a divorce lawyer, but David wouldn't have it. They were still five years away from achieving their financial goals with their dental practice. There was too much at stake. If they divided their assets in a divorce, their business would be ruined. So David promised he'd do anything to make the marriage work. As David pleaded with her, Clara tried to understand why he'd pursued an extramarital affair in the first place. Before we continue with Clara's psychology, please note that I'm not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. Sociologist Dr. Kristen Munch conducted a study assessing the impacts of gender roles on marital infidelity. One of the most common gender-related factors is breadwinning. Munch found that the more economically dependent a married man is on his partner, the greater his likelihood of engaging in infidelity. Traditional gender roles define the husband as the breadwinner, and it can feel emasculating for some men if their wife takes that role instead. Munch explains that if a husband isn't the primary earner in the house, he may use sexual conquest as a way to reassert his masculinity. It was no secret that Clara dominated business decisions at their practice. Clara owned 51% of the company that she and David shared for the sake of loans, since she was an immigrant. David may have felt emasculated in their unequal partnership. By seeking Gail's affections, he likely regained the sense of manhood he'd lost in his marriage. Munch conversely found that wives who were primary breadwinners had increased fidelity or loyalty to their husbands. This may be because women will observe their deviation from standard gender roles and attempt to stabilize the marriage. Clara often felt she did this, reinforcing just how important David was to her and their business. But in David's mind, Clara's attempts to comfort him had only made him more humiliated. Now, Clara was in no rush to comfort him. Unsure what to make of David's admittance, Clara walked downstairs to the kitchen where her 16-year-old stepdaughter, Lindsay, was making breakfast. When Clara told her that David had cheated, Lindsay admitted that she'd already known about Gail. Everyone at the office did, in fact. And it wasn't just the one-time lunch that David confessed to Clara about. It had been an ongoing affair. This revelation set Clara off. She returned to the upstairs bedroom and slapped David across the face. 
angry she was the last to know about David's adultery. Then Clara demanded two things. The first, that they seek marriage counseling. The second, that David fire Gail Bridges. David resented this proposition and threw Clara to the ground in retaliation. As his daughter Lindsay rushed to Clara's side, David sneered at them. I'm leaving, David said. You'll never see me again. But it was an empty threat. Within the hour, the tension dissipated, at least enough for Clara, David, and his daughter Lindsay to pile up in David's car together. They headed to Space Center Orthodontics, where David's mistress, Gail, was working behind the reception desk, clueless about Clara's recent discovery. Along the drive, David tried to assure Clara that he didn't need to fire Gail. But David's refutations meant nothing to her. The 39-year-old receptionist had gone too far. If David wouldn't force Gail to leave the practice, Clara would. As the car ride continued, everyone sat silent in anticipation of what was to come. David grew nervous. Telling Clara the truth had not at all gone as he'd hoped. Soon, Gail would realize her secret relationship with David was not, in fact, accepted by Clara, as he'd once assured her it was. And he'd lose the one thing in his life that gave him a sense of freedom from his wife. Despite his concerns, they pulled up to the quaint office, which sat in the middle of a strip mall. Upon entering the office, Clara wasted no time. She asked Gail to join her in the back office. Once the two were alone, Clara asked, what kind of relationship do you have with my husband? Gail Bridges played dumb, but it was too late for deception. Clara fired Gail on the spot. Then she grabbed the 39-year-old brunette by her arm and escorted her out of the office, shutting the door behind her. Clara hoped that would be the last she saw of her. But more than that, Clara hoped David would provide her with answers in the coming days. On the night of Thursday, July 18, 2002, just two days after she learned about David's feelings for Gail, Clara asked him to take her to a romantic piano bar. David agreed, leaving their three-year-old sons at home with the governess but they were unable to find a spot that suited Clara's expectations, so they settled on Damon's Bar and Grill instead. It was a sports bar inside a Marriott hotel. Though minor, the turn of events disappointed Clara, who felt she found a dead end with every effort to reinvigorate the romance between her and David. Nevertheless, the two took a corner table, and Clara got past her dismay. Of course, the conversation that awaited her would only bring more grief. David's commentary on Gail's strengths and Clara's shortcomings was both vast and specific, and with the same determination that she'd once applied to her dental schooling, as David talked, Clara took notes on two cocktail napkins. David told his wife she dominated conversations, both between the two of them and among others. He also complained that she was too controlling in their work life. As a result, David didn't feel he had a say in any professional decisions. 
In contrast, Gale was calmer and more receptive to his ideas. David noted that both Clara and his mistress were pretty and intelligent, but Gale had big boobs. So Clara wrote that on the napkin she dedicated to Gale. On her own, she wrote, will be big boobs. David added, you are a large person, too big. Apparently, Gale was petite, which allowed David to hold her all night as they slept together. He couldn't do that with Clara. Where Clara was loud, Gale had a breathy Marilyn Monroe voice, and she always smiled at him. Clara never did. Once more, Clara noted the differences between her and the other woman. She never contested any of the remarks. If anything, they'd given her more concrete goals to work toward. When they finished talking, Clara placed the two cocktail napkins into her purse so she could review them later. In the car on the way home, Clara told David, I can make you happy. The following day, David and Clara brought their twins to a beach in Galveston. And while the three-year-old boys played in the sand, David told Clara he'd like to see Gail one last time for closure. Clara didn't like the idea, but agreed, permitting one final meeting at a restaurant while she waited for her husband in the parking lot. So David called Gail and set the plan for the following week. After he hung up, Clara and David enjoyed one another's company. They were rediscovering what it meant to be happy together. On Sunday, July 21st, the couple drove to Shady Crest Baptist Church, where they sat in a pew beside David's parents. After Clara had informed his parents of the affair, the four convened and prayed over David's infidelity. It seemed to stir up renewed desire in David. When he and Clara returned to their mansion that evening, they had sex three times. But Clara's joy didn't last long. Because that night, David came clean with the whole truth. He had been intimate with Gail. Coming up... David's brutal truth unleashes a new side of Clara. Hi, listeners. Here's a series I think you're really going to like. We all know that medical professionals are trained to give exceptional care. But what about those who use their skills not to heal, but hurt? In the new ParCast series, Medical Murders, you'll discover a disturbing diagnosis that not every doctor wants to extend your life. Every Wednesday, Medical Murders introduces you to the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead used their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Join host Alastair Murden as he examines the formative years and motives of history's most infamous killers. Dissecting their medical backgrounds with expert analysis and professional insight provided by practicing MD, Dr. David Kipper. You'll investigate a wide range of heinous healthcare workers, like the general practitioner believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history, or the dentist who led a double life as a hitman, or even the doctor and gang member who mixed deadly potions for unhappy housewives to use on their husbands. When it comes to these true crime stories, the only thing the doctor ordered 
is murder. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. In the days after July 16, 2002, when 44-year-old Clara Harris learned of David's involvement with 39-year-old Gail Bridges, she sought answers from her cheating husband, and he certainly hadn't been shy in sharing her shortcomings. So Clara took matters of beauty into her own hands, After all, she thought David might not have wandering eyes if she was beautiful enough to hold his attention. Clara bought lingerie, hired a personal trainer, and consulted with Dr. Thomas Weiner, the go-to plastic surgeon in the Houston suburbs. She even put down a deposit of over $5,000 for a breast augmentation. Dr. Tina B. Tessina, a psychotherapist and author of How to Be Happy Partners, Working It Out Together, explains that decreased attraction in a relationship has to be replaced with affection, a sense of humor, and yet Clara simply wanted to win David back with improvements to her physical appearance. She blamed her aging looks for David's wandering eye, but she also blamed Gail Bridges for willfully manipulating her poor husband. This was likely a result of Clara's own self-consciousness. Researchers Mihaila Alexandra German, Laura Arhiri, and Daniela Muntele conducted a study on blame attribution in instances of marital infidelity. They found that women with higher body dissatisfaction tend to attribute more responsibility for the extramarital affair to the mistress and less to the husband as compared to women with milder body dissatisfaction. Clara wasn't just displeased with her body because of the few pounds she'd held onto after her twins were born. David had explicitly verbalized all the ways that Gail's body was better than hers. And while she trusted David could fall back in love with her again, she wasn't so convinced that Gail Bridges was gone for good from his life. She hoped that their planned meeting on Wednesday would be the last they saw one another. But she also decided to take her own precautionary measures. On Monday, July 22nd, David Harris went into work, but Clara stayed home. She'd officially announced her retirement, a career move she didn't necessarily want to make, but felt she had to for David. But Clara didn't suddenly resign herself to the pleasures of domestic life. Instead, she opened her Yellow Pages book and found the number to a nearby private detective agency, Blue Moon Investigations. She'd heard rumors circulating around the Clear Lake neighborhood that Gail Bridges had left her husband for a woman named Julie. The two seemed to share an ambiguous relationship, and Clara was convinced that Gail was a lesbian. Clara felt that if she could prove this to David, he would understand that Gail had really only been intimate with him because she wanted to take his money. And once she could prove this to him, she'd never have to worry about Gail Bridges ever again. Clara met with Claudine Phillips of Blue Moon Investigations the next day. She brought license plate numbers, addresses, and a photograph of her husband. 
In their meeting on Tuesday, July 23rd, Clara told Claudine that David had plans to meet up with Gail the following evening for closure. She suspected the two would meet at a restaurant as David had initially noted. In fact, Clara was originally supposed to drive to the restaurant with David, but somehow he'd convinced his wife not to join him, promising Clara she could trust him. But Clara had completely lost faith in her husband's word by now. So Clara instructed the agency to surveil her husband after he left work the following day. She noted that she believed he was going to meet his former mistress at a Perry's Steakhouse, but she couldn't be sure. Time and time again throughout the conversation, Clara emphasized that her husband was a good man. She believed he had simply lost his way after greedy Gail got her hooks in him. Claudine took pity on Gail and offered her a book entitled Divorce Texas Style, but Clara refused it. I will never divorce my husband. I simply want to prove that Gail is deceiving him. He is a victim. Claudine didn't dare refute Clara. By the end of their meeting, it had been decided that their surveillance would last from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. the next day. Before Clara left, Claudine told her she'd get a surveillance report approximately one day after, as was typical protocol. Though Clara had hoped for live intel, she agreed to the terms. The morning of July 24, 2002, began like many others for the Harris family. David woke and prepared for work as Clara showered. As Clara watched David pull away from the home, she silently hoped his evening meeting with Gail wouldn't turn into another clandestine rendezvous. But if it did, she would know about it. Nervous about the surveillance, Clara returned to Blue Moon Investigations once more and even brought her stepdaughter Lindsay along. Though Lindsay didn't appreciate Clara invading her father's privacy, she knew that circumstances were dire and understood the love behind Clara's actions. When the two returned home, Clara couldn't sit still. She didn't know what to do with herself. Part of her wanted to trust her husband and let the video surveillance be enough, but another part of her considered a stakeout mission, just in case David made a poor decision. And sure enough, he did. Shortly after 6 p.m., Clara received a call from one of David's employees explaining that David seemed to have left for Gail's home after work. Clara's heart sunk, but she didn't have time to cry. Instead, she got in her car with Lindsay, armed with Gail's address from her old employee file. Her hands trembled as she imagined what her husband was doing at Gail's house. But when the two arrived, Gail's driveway was empty and no one appeared to be home. Clara felt a wave of despair wash over her. Until now, she'd suspected Gail had somehow seduced David into their intimate encounters, but it was becoming clear to her that David had willfully engaged, and now Clara saw no chance of stopping him. But Clara didn't let her pain keep her from the hunt. She headed to a restaurant where she suspected they might be, but once again, David and Gail were nowhere to be found. 
This time, Clara couldn't keep her emotions at bay. As tears welled in her eyes, the road before her became blurry. So she pulled over and asked Lindsay to get in the driver's seat. Noticing her stepmom was particularly unhinged, Lindsay obliged. She felt sorry for Clara. Her dad had completely betrayed both of them. Then, while Lindsay drove the Mercedes, Clara called Blue Moon Investigations. The detective revealed that David and Gail had checked into the Nassau Bay Hotel and were likely in a room on the fourth or sixth floor. Clara's frustration turned to rage. Before, she'd hoped that David and Gail had gone to a restaurant somewhere, but now that she knew that the two were somewhere with beds, her mind went to dark places. The investigator advised Clara to stay home and wait for the surveillance report the following day, but it was no use. Clara was set on finding her cheating husband. She ordered Lindsay to drive to the hotel. As they sped down NASA Road 1, Clara struggled to come up with the right words for what she was feeling. Disappointment wasn't enough. Her entire identity had been built around her life with her husband. So his betrayal felt like a personal attack. She'd been completely abandoned. In that moment, Clara couldn't comfort herself with delusions that her marriage might improve if she became more beautiful. Instead, she realized that her relationship with David would never work so long as he put his own pleasure before her needs. Angry tears rolled down her face. When Lindsay and Clara arrived at the hotel shortly before 8.30 p.m., Clara lied to the desk clerk, claiming that her son was sick and that she needed to find her husband immediately. But there was no David Harris checked in at the hotel. Unable to intercept the illicit encounter that was undoubtedly taking place in one of the rooms above them, Clara and Lindsay walked out to the parking lot. That's when they spotted Gail's Lincoln Navigator SUV. As soon as she saw it, Clara ran toward it. She ripped off the windshield wiper and bent it in half, then scratched her car keys along its side, writing the word adulterer. With this act of vandalism, Clara felt a renewed dedication to the cause. But the momentary catharsis only fueled Clara's need for revenge. She wanted to make David look as foolish as he'd made her feel by catching him in the act. So she devised a plan to lure David out of his room. Lindsay called him saying that one of the twins was sick, a believable lie as four-year-old Bradley did have asthma, Worried, David had no choice but to halt his tryst with Gail. And when he did, Clara and Lindsay stood waiting in the lobby to catch him heading out to the parking lot with his mistress. Minutes later, the events unfolded just as Clara had expected. When she saw David hand in hand with Gail as they emerged from the elevator, Clara lunged at Gail. Clara spat, he's my husband, as she tore Gail's blouse from her body. She announced David's affair to the whole lobby and even bit Gail on the leg. Nearby hotel guests watched the brawl in utter shock. But no one was more shocked at Clara's outburst than David. 
though he'd seen her get heated in private, she'd always put on airs when she left the house. Now, with hundreds of hotel guests nearby, she was unhinged. Disgusted, David ruthlessly pulled Clara off of Gail with the help of hotel staff, then walked with his mistress to the door while Clara was escorted out. David shouted, it's over, it's over, as he headed with Gail towards her SUV. But Clara could hardly hear him. His true feelings scorched her. Lindsay and Clara clambered back into her Mercedes. This time, Clara sat in the driver's seat. She gripped the leather steering wheel, seething. She couldn't take her husband's insistence that things between them were finished. She wanted to take back control. The sound of burning tires on asphalt pierced the air as Clara charged toward the man she loved with all the anger, grief, and heartache he had brought her. She would not be condemned this time for wanting better. Lindsay screamed from the passenger seat, begging Clara to stop, but her cries fell on deaf ears. A hotel employee even attempted to jolt Clara out of her trance-like rage, banging on the hood of the car as it passed. But not even that stopped her. In a matter of seconds, the front of her Mercedes collided with the back of Gail's SUV. David's eyes widened in fear and he held a hand up as if to keep the car from hitting him. But naturally, the 5,000 pounds of luxury car made a beast far greater than David. The vehicle catapulted him 25 feet across the asphalt over two separate grassy medians in the lot as Clara slammed on her brakes. Lindsay screamed once more, but Clara wasn't done. She replayed every lie David had ever told her. Then she screamed, driven completely mad by a monster that David had made. She put her car into drive, charged over the two medians, and crushed David with her car tires. One time wasn't enough. She made a circle in the lot as hotel staff watched helpless from the front doors. Then she drove her car over her husband again, all while David's daughter sat in the passenger seat. Lindsay shrieked, stop, please stop the car, feeling the bumping of the wheels as they crushed her father's bones. But Clara had lost it, cackling as she drove over him. Then she backed up on his wounded body and ran over him a third time for good measure. Then the fit of rage hit its end. She parked the car haphazardly, the weight of what she'd done washing over her. She ran to her husband's body as Lindsay wept. There on the asphalt, David lay wincing, immobile, struggling to breathe. Clara looked down at him and yelled, look what you made me do. Coming up, Clara defends her crime of passion. Now, back to the story. When 44-year-old Clara Harris learned that her husband was meeting his mistress at the Nassau Bay Hilton Hotel, she couldn't contain her anger. 
he was supposed to be ending his affair and recommitting himself to their marriage. Instead, David had cheated again. So, caught up in the heat of her emotion, she drove to the hotel with her stepdaughter Lindsay to confront him. But what was meant to be a marital spat quickly turned into a brutal assault as Clara charged her car over her husband three times, all while his daughter sat in the passenger seat. The first medical personnel on the scene were two hotel guests who had heard the commotion. When they saw David on the ground, laying with his feet on the curb, they knew his injuries were serious. They noted his tightly clenched jaw, his labored, wet breathing. He was dying. Within minutes, an emergency team arrived and carried David onto a stretcher. They weren't sure there was much they could do for him, but they turned on their sirens and headed for Christus St. John Hospital. Meanwhile, in the parking lot, police detective Teresa Relkin logged the details of the scene. She noted a broken windshield wiper lying on the ground near a damaged SUV. Some 30 feet ahead sat a silver Mercedes with damage to its right fender. Blood marked the asphalt where David's body had been crushed by tires. His brown toupee sat lifeless, blown off its owner's head minutes prior. Detective Relkin then happened upon a weeping Clara Harris, who appeared to be juggling numbness and severe bouts of emotional agony. Shortly thereafter, Clara was taken to the local police station and interrogated. She claimed that she had killed her husband by accident, but the state of David's body made it difficult for her theory to stand. He'd been annihilated. Detective Relkin sent her to the Harris County Jail, where she was charged with her husband's murder. By the time the criminal nature of the tragedy had been squared away, it was after midnight. When Detective Relkin arrived at the hospital at 12.45 a.m., David Harris was dead. So Detective Relkin followed David's body when it was taken to the morgue. The coroner had much to assess. His head had a three by four inch zone of bruises near what remained of his ear. Deep cuts and gashes in his scalp and neck, along with a broken jaw, a destroyed left lung, 10 broken ribs and a broken back. His heart had been severed in two. But despite the gruesome details of David's death, Clara was released from jail just two days later on July 26, 2002, on a $30,000 bond. The fact that Clara was a first-time offender and an otherwise upstanding member of her community reflected well on her. She hadn't been charged with reckless driving or assaulting Gail Bridges, only the killing of David Harris. Since it was only one crime, Clara would not face the possibility of a death penalty under Texas law. Her trial was set for January 21, 2003. In the meantime, Clara would be able to live as she otherwise had before the tragedy had happened. The only term was that she couldn't see her husband's mistress, Gail Bridges. But while Clara still faced significant jail time in her future, hope was not lost when she left court that day. 
For one thing, she'd been approached by George Parnum, an impeccable criminal defense attorney who'd represented infamous criminals in the past. If anyone could help Clara build her case, it was Parnum. And he was determined to defend her. On July 26, 2002, 44-year-old Clara returned home to her suburban Houston mansion, where her governess had continued to take care of her twin boys. And though Clara felt distraught, she knew she needed to get some information for her lawyer. So she called Blue Moon Investigations and asked if a private detective had been present at the scene of David's death. They confirmed for her that the investigator that night, Lindsay Dubeck, had taken a video recording of the gruesome murder. This footage had since been handed over to the authorities. Clara's face turned white at the revelation. It turned out that the videotape she had wanted of Gail would end up incriminating her. In retaliation, Parnum hired accident deconstructionist Steve Irwin for the defense, who would be able to explain how the Mercedes could have only driven over David Harris just once. This would corroborate the theory that Clara's actions had been an accident, and it provided a convincing argument. As it turned out, Blue Moon Investigations hadn't taped the entire encounter. The footage only caught Clara running over David one time. But Clara still wasn't in the clear. The eyewitness testimony made it hard for the jury to see past Clara's vile actions. As the prosecution put it, Clara turned her $70,000 luxury Mercedes into a 4,000-pound killing machine. But Clara's memory of that evening didn't look like that, and though her defense lawyers warned that she might further incriminate herself by testifying, Clara insisted on sharing her version of events. In an emotional round of answers to her lawyer, Clara recounted her tragic efforts to repair her marriage. She outlined the painful conversation she'd had with David at the sports bar and all the ways he lied to her that he would end it with Gail. For a moment, the court sympathized with the woman whose husband showed no concern for her emotional well-being. Parnum emphasized the way Clara had made a mistake out of passion, not cold blood. But ultimately, Clara's tearful testimony held nothing to her stepdaughters. When Lindsay's dad died, she hadn't been prepared. She sat in the passenger seat and watched as the man she'd looked up to for much of her life was brutally robbed of his. Researchers Catherine Keyes, Carissa Pratt, Sandro Galea, Katie McLaughlin, Kariston Conan, and M. Catherine Shear studied the varying responses to the fatality of a loved one. They found that unexpected deaths provoke especially strong responses and noted an association between unexpected deaths and the development of depression and anxiety symptoms, substance abuse, as well as other psychiatric disorders. In the months preceding Clara's trial, Lindsay had attempted suicide twice. The traumatic murder of her father on July 24, 2002 would forever haunt her, and the memory of the fatal assault was not a burden she wished to live with. So when she came forward as a witness for the prosecution, she wanted revenge. 
Lindsay testified that she had begged her stepmom to stop throughout the horrific event. She explained in tearful detail how she'd felt the bump the car made over her father's body every time Clara ran over him. She'd never forget it. Ultimately, this testimony was too strong to protect Clara from serving significant time. As bad a husband as David had been, Clara pummeled him with her car several times in a fit of rage, an inexcusable crime. In February of 2003, Clara Harris was convicted and sentenced to 20 years in prison. It happened on the anniversary of her marriage to David Harris. And though her time behind bars was bleak, it gave her time to reflect on her actions that fateful July day. Then on Friday, May 11th, 2018, 15 years after her sentencing, 60-year-old Clara Harris was released from prison. She smiled ear to ear as she took her first steps of freedom. Now she lives in Galveston County and is required to wear an ankle monitor. She will remain on parole until February 2023. Though her story is behind her, it serves as a cautionary tale to the scorned lover. Thanks for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on Clara Harris, amongst the many sources we used, we found Out of Control, The Clara Harris Murder Case by Stephen Long, quite conducive to our research. You can find all episodes of Female Criminals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Female Criminals, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Female Criminals on Spotify, just open the app and type Female Criminals in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Lauren DeLille, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Killer nurses, deranged doctors, mad scientists. Don't forget to check out the new ParCast original series, Medical Murders. Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead use their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.